Welcome to It Pays to Know, the Infinistep podcast where we dive deeply into unexplored areas of payments, embedded finance, and more. My name is Todd Ablowitz. I'm co-founder and co-CEO of Infinisap, and today my guest is Brian Abernethy. Brian is the founder of Utopia, one of my favorite boutique firms helping vertical SaaS companies with their payments. He is super eloquent and helping so many market players drive their payments forward. Today we discuss the history of integrated and embedded payments, the emergence of Payfac and Payfac as a service, and what software companies really need to drive their payments businesses ahead. Without further ado, I welcome Brian Ebernethy, and I hope you enjoy our conversation as much as we did. Hey, Brian, great to see you again. Looking forward to a great conversation. Welcome to It Pays to Know. Hey, Todd. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm excited for the opportunity to talk all things payments with you as usual. Let's start out. Everyone wants to hear where our guests come from and sure. a little bit about the background. I think it's really cool to hear your founding story. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I am relatively new to the payments industry, I think, compared to some of your other guests. I, I broke into the industry back in early 2017. I joined TSIS at the time, uh, was recruited out of business school and then was tasked with a kind of frontline ISB business development focusing in the healthcare space. Within about a year, had taken over running that team. So I had you know, about seven or eight business development reps focusing on a number of vertical software markets. Uh, went through the global transaction, uh, so kind of got to see how, how all that was going to be structured and ended up uh, moving with some other uh, former colleagues over to Clearant, uh, where we did quite a bit of the same thing, uh, kind of setting up their ISP biz dev organization and also some strategy, some marketing, and, and some product work as well. And kind of during my uh, my travels over those years working for some of the bigger processors, I had kind of identified a, a trend that was a little bit concerning or frustrating to me. And and that was that very rarely would both parties in like an integrated payments relationship ever reach the heights that they had mutually agreed upon at the outset of that partnership. When they shook hands, they both said, look at how great this is going to go for us. And for a myriad of reasons, they never quite got there. And so I always wondered if there was an opportunity for someone to sit in between those two parties in between these software vendors and the processors to hopefully broker better outcomes. Uh, and so in early 2022, I founded Utopia. Uh, for that exact purpose. So we work with growth stage investor-backed vertical software companies to optimize their payment strategy. That's amazing. I love that. What were the biggest things you saw that were preventing the success of those programs? Sure. You know, I, I think that there's probably a few buckets that that falls into. I think the first and foremost, the technology can certainly be limiting, right? That, that's almost the first hurdle that you need to clear. So does your processing partner have the appropriate technology stack to solve the problems of your end customer, right? So I think a lot of times this was the, the bigger trend that I saw was that these processors were selling their solutions to these ISVs, but they weren't thinking with the end customer in mind. Like what is the challenge that this dentist practice or this restaurants or this gym are facing? And so as a result, maybe they were missing critical features that lessen their value prop. And ultimately the lack of success always comes back to the lack of adoption. And we'll get into that in a little bit more detail later. But, you know, the technology has to work. The financials need to make sense. Um, the partnership needs to be on solid footing from a support perspective. And ultimately, hopefully, that creates an opportunity to drive adoption in your customer base. I couldn't agree more. I saw time after time after time where you'd see a sizable software company with a great product, great relationship with their customers, and they'd be lucky to get 10% take rate. Right. on their payments offering. 
What was the biggest barrier on that take rate? You talked about technology. Mm-hmm. Let's double click like just a little further. Is it the gateway? Is it the onboarding? Is it the customer experience? And maybe it's multiple things, but let's go into what were you seeing on the ground? Sure. You know, I think if you were to, to maybe switch seats and, and if you're the, the software vendor trying to figure out why can't I effectively sell this payment solution, if you were to trade seats with your customer and kind of from their perspective, why should I switch what I'm doing today, right? Presumably they are taking payment in some way, shape or form today. And so what challenges are they facing and how is your solution bundled within your software going to, to solve that? And so is there some feature that's going to make it easier for them, for instance, in the healthcare space, is there a way for them to reduce manual labor uh, tied to stuffing paper statements and the expense of mailing them out, right? So can we have maybe a text-based invoicing system or something along those lines? There's a number of other examples, say for a gym membership management software, do you have a proper account updater, right? We've got card not present recurring payments. Is, is that going to make sure that your gym members don't fall out of the billing cycle and you don't lose revenue? So yeah, from a technology perspective, I think there are specific features that are very relevant to different verticals. Um, and I think sometimes those software vendors may not know what questions to ask to make sure that those features are even available. And so when they get to market, that value prop is now significantly diminished, resulting in lack of adoption within their customer base. How do you see that relating to the continued emergence of the PayFAC and PayFAC as a service models? What's happening with those models relative to the models that you worked in and said that led you to want to start Utopia? Yeah, great question. So no, I, I would say that increasingly, I think that these processors are getting smarter in how they are going to market. They are taking a more vertically focused approach. And so they are tailoring their feature sets and communicating to the market in ways that are relevant, right? So I think that that's less of a concern now. I think the bigger concern is how do you drive that adoption? And what's interesting is that while it was not invented for this purpose, you know, the payment facilitation idea actually lends itself to really streamlining an onboarding process that fits quite nicely with the value proposition and the customer experience that a software platform strives to deliver in its core product. So really, I know we talked about integrated payments versus embedded payments, but embedding you know, this, this payment solution within your, your software and leveraging some of the features of payment facilitation or PayFAC as a service to then go into your customer base and have an easier time driving the adoption by removing some of the barriers of a traditional underwriting and boarding experience. Let's double click first on the broad PayFAC, PayFAC as a service models versus the ISO merchant integrated payment models. So We'll use for, like you said a moment ago, embedded payments versus integrated payments. I always viewed the bifurcation of having, you know, one sticker to call a phone number for technical stuff and a different sticker to call a phone number for account stuff as being painful and unpleasant. And as well as the toss a lead over the fence to another sales bro who would go and try and sell that merchant for the ISV. So the ISV gets the lead, but then there's a payments bro going to sell it. Tell me about where that is these days. I got into this quite a long time ago, and I think you've had some really good on-the-ground experience and insight on that. Sure. It's a great point, Todd. And I think generally speaking, I would say that the trend within the ISV world is I think a lot of times it's it tends to be fo- I think the discussion around it tends to be focused on the financials, right? Everyone's looking for more revenue, especially with the incredible investment that's going on and all that fun stuff. But 
I actually, when I talk to the operators of these businesses, the founders of these businesses, I think the core desire is honestly just to control the experience end to end in, in a more meaningful way. And you just hit on a couple aspects of that. And from day one, it's how does this merchant come into our payments ecosystem? Do we own the sales process where they're talking to that same sales rep that, that brought them you know, the, uh, onto the core software platform? You know, from a servicing perspective, they're going to one vendor to solve all their problems. And I think you, you uncovered some really interesting things about what happens when you don't necessarily control those things can get get sideways very quickly. Right. You know, if you have one of these payment sales bros, that I love that, that maybe is, is a little bit self-serving in how he's going about pricing something. And, you know, maybe that merchant has a bad experience with your payments provider. But unfortunately for you as the software vendor, that's part of your world. That's your problem now, because you have embedded that partner into your platform. And so that now reflects on you. Right. So whether it's pricing, whether it's merchant support, whether it's the feature functionality, all of this falls on you because you're the one who chose to bring that vendor to your small business. And again, I go back to this kind of empathy led thinking of at the end of the day, all of these vertical SaaS platforms were built to solve problems for small businesses. Right. And they're the core of the backbone of the economy. And the minute that you lose sight of that, I think you, you're in dangerous territory because you're going to lose sight of, again, we go back to adoption. Why is it that someone's small business would choose to use your software and your embedded payments? I think that's where you always have to go back to to ground yourself on all these topics. So that's fascinating stuff. When we started, and we're talking, we saw Stripe, and then we saw Shopify payments, and we, we weren't close to it, but we saw the Toast ecosystem get built. And there's so many others, right? Mind, body. And we were seeing take rates at least two and a half, three times the integrated payments take rate. And the the big trend, and you saw this to the tune of hundreds of ISVs, not thousands in the US anyway, but hundreds of ISVs becoming payment facilitators. And when they do it right, Shopify, Toast, Modernizing Medicine, you know, Workwave, these kinds of, of companies, they see massive increases. And I'm interested, again, bringing it to 2023 and your fresh look, plus an independent view on what's happening in the software-led payments world. What's on the ground right now? I would say that if we were to assume that the majority of these software vendors are coming from a relatively kind of removed role in what they play in this, this payment, so maybe they're a referral partner, maybe they're working with someone like Stripe today, but not necessarily participating in revenue, um, they're likely growing very quickly. Maybe they just took a round of funding. And part of that thesis of the investment was you need to go kind of turn on the spigot of revenue from, from payments. And so if you think about where they're coming from, I think the leap to go from, say, a referral partner or a Stripe Connect partner or something like this to go all the way to a registered payment facilitator is scary. It's hard to wrap your mind around. I think there's probably a little bit of a misconception about how long it takes. What are the expenses right there? are, of course, platforms out there that, that will streamline that for you, right, Todd? So I think what ends up happening is that while maybe over the past five years, there was sort of this big trend towards these ISVs seeing these incredible success of some of their peers becoming registered payment facilitators and chasing that to no fault of their own, it's understandable. I think it's kind of come back a little bit where this payback as a service continues to gain steam and popularity for a number of reasons. There's new entrants in the market the legacy providers are building their own platforms to offer a payback as a service because we alluded to a couple features of payment facilitation that are attractive to a software vendor. 
like speed of onboarding and, and a few other neat backend tricks. But I think that it's kind of that that walk in the crawl, walk, run progression where sure, like maybe someday you, you can go become a payment facilitator. But for now, let's prove to yourself that you can bring in the sales process, that you can bring in level one support, that maybe you can bring in some underwriting and some risk and things like that. And once you've built that discipline and that muscle, then you can easily go become a payment facilitator. But I think the bet that a lot of these payback as a service companies are making is maybe you won't want to, right? Maybe that marginal benefit isn't there. So that, that seems to be kind of the trend is how do I get as close to that kind of golden you know, ticket of, of the revenue of, of, that's associated with a payback with as little risk and kind of investment as possible? And here we are in this payback as a service explosion that we're seeing. It's interesting you bring that up because at Infinicept, we have spent the last at least six years actively building to the full payback registered payback business. Sometimes there's some similar models like Adyen for partners. And one of the things we consistently saw was some of the prospective customers that have the economic benefit without question of owning it all themselves continue to say it's a bridge too far. It's scary. So we spent a number of years working with partners trying to cobble together a network of partners that had enough coverage so that we could always have a partner for you know the big majority. And we had trouble finding a patchwork of partners that could cover the majority of the market need. The only ones we saw that were succeeding at that were also locking in the technology ecosystem, mm-hmm. locking in maybe the gateway with the product, maybe locking in one processor. We didn't see multiprocessor or or options. And we, most importantly, didn't see anyone that was greasing the skids for that upgrade path at some point when they're ready. So almost begrudgingly, and we've only been talking about this for a little bit, we launched LaunchPay, which is our payfac. And we felt that someone had to follow the Embedded Payments Bill of Rights. Someone had to go out and make the benefits of an agnostic ecosystem, the benefits of openness, choice, choose your processor, choose your gateway, some of this stuff, but needed to bolt on that payments part just to help them with training wheels or the walk in the crawl, walk, run. Uh, So we launched that, and I'm really curious And sometimes it's really fun on these podcasts to do shared product development or just talk openly about what the market needs. I'm really interested in what you think the next thing is needed there and where you would point it and what your customers are screaming for. Yeah, I love the way that you phrase that because I I think that while the idea of payment facilitation, of course, has been out there for a long time when it comes to vertical SaaS and obviously more recently, this payback as a service, I think that the branding or the story that a lot of these players will say is, well, you can start in, in the payback as a service and then we'll, we'll graduate you, right? And you, just, you can do it all with us, right? In my experience, that is probably not, not accurate. Um, I would challenge some of the listeners to comment back to on our LinkedIn or however we post this of how many examples can you give me of someone who has truly started in that model and actually truly gradu- graduated and you can find them on the MasterCard list of registered payfacts. And I would struggle to come up with one. There, there may be one out there. And so I think I love what the way you describe it. I love the embedded payments bill of rights because I, I do believe that that is what the market is asking for. It's asking for the ability to access the feature functionality, the benefits that payment facilitation provides 
with an option toward the future, right? These are growing software companies. And the reality is a lot of them are investor backed. Transactions will happen. Priorities will change. As that payments portfolio grows, the next acquirer of the business very likely has their own plans for payments. And so the flexibility to move that portfolio down the road without some predatory contract and some crazy non-solicitation and liquidated damages and all these wild things I see in my travels, that's what the market is asking for. They are looking for someone to offer them a true, transparent, trustworthy solution that delivers the, the technology and the financials they need, but preserving optionality for the future, whatever that might look like, knowing that they don't know what their business will look like five years down the road. Hopefully they sell it. Who knows who they sell it to? Um, and so I would say over the past, you know, maybe six months, that's really been a trend that, I, that I've heard from my clients and from the market. Well, that's great to hear. Certainly we strive to meet that and that's what we're going after. As you were talking about, I was thinking about it. I was thinking, you know, the payments bros were selling the merchants. And then when the software companies started doing a better job selling the merchants, the payments bros just started selling the software companies. And what we saw is a result like you described. And that that's a great transition. I want to really move into what you see your customers needing beyond the payment provider, beyond the payfac as a service. What are you seeing? It seems like this sales topic, yeah. selling merchants, right? If they're doing that newly and they're better at it, are they good enough at it? Are they meeting their potential? What are you seeing out there? Yeah, absolutely. This is one of my favorite topics. So I'm glad you brought it up. So I've long believed that one of the most overlooked components of an embedded payment strategy is, is your go-to-market and commercialization piece. So it's all very exciting to identify a, a new vendor who has great tech and incredible financials and look at this pro forma. We're going to make all this money and our enterprise value is going through the roof. And you know it looks great on a board deck, but that revenue is unlocked through the very frontline blocking and tackling of convincing a small business owner and operator to use your product. And so a lot of times we see what I'd call a false start where someone spends a lot of time and money choosing a new payments vendor, uh, integrating to their platform, beta testing, everyone's excited, and they can't seem to get any business on board. And I think it's a combination of Merchant services certainly can be complex to sell, depending on the sophistication of the small business you're targeting. But I think more so, it's a lack of awareness of kind of the pricing and packaging and different levers you can pull to drive that adoption and, and convince this, this customer that this is the best option. I've experienced it myself as a small business owner of, of kind of having to make that decision of do I use the embedded solution that's a little bit more expensive or the non-integrated one that's a little bit less. And because I live in this world, I can appreciate the value of the integration, but many of them don't. And so objection handling around that obviously is very important. But the number one lever that these ISVs can pull to drive payments revenue is more adoption. So it seems like, and I've experienced this because I've had the benefit of working with some of your customers, there's an opportunity to, well, we know there's an opportunity because we've seen Shopify sell and get 70% of their revenue from payments. We've seen Toast get north of 90% of their revenue from payments with huge adoption rates. So the opportunity is there. It can be done, full stop. What are the couple of key things that you find your customers asking you to do to really put the key in the lock for them? Like really tangible. What is that? Like three things that you 
put boots on the ground for them or, or you show them how to put boots on the ground probably more sure. accurately. How, how do you do that? Yeah. So the number one thing that we always do is, is an exercise that I would call value-based pricing. And so the, the exercise here is to quantify the benefit to the small business of using the integration versus not. And this is something I think conceptually we all understand like, oh, it's integrated. It's better. Right. But I'd love for someone to give me, explain that to me. Like, what? Well, why is it better? What does it do? I can share an example from my own life. My wife is a therapist and owns her own practice. We use one of the large behavioral health EHRs out there that uses one of the largest payment processors in the world. Uh, shortly after signing up for it, we got a notification that we were getting a price increase on our merchant services up to three and a half percent and 50 cents a transaction, right? So of course there's steam coming out of my ears given my <laughs> my own company. And so, you know, of course we could have chosen to use a non-integrated solution and put it on cost plus nothing and, and save some money. But when I sat down to do the math on it, based on the volume that the practice does and the amount of time it would take her to manually reconcile those payments at what she bills per hour, very quickly it became obvious that this actually might be underpriced, this three and a half and 50 cents, because it made no sense to, to go and do this manually. And so I think that's just an example of how can you as a software vendor quantify the benefit that this integration provides to your customers? And I always reframe it as, you need to look at this as the total cost of ownership of accepting payments, not the merchant services line item on your P&L, because you're very likely to miss if you overfocus on that. You might have a very low cost, non-integrated solution, but you're paying someone an expensive wage to manually reconcile or stuff, you know, paper statements, and then a number of things, reach out to customers who haven't paid bills, right? Update credit cards manually. And all of a sudden, when you look at how much did you pay to accept your payments? It's actually the opposite. And so measuring that is a little bit of an art. It's not an exact science, but when you can start to quantify that delta between using your solution and not, I think then you can justify your premium and you have a lot more conviction going to market and selling it at that price. It's funny. We had the same exact experience. We put on a conference and the conference software came with payments. I think we talked about this before. And we're like, we 3.5 and 50. Are you crazy? This is madness. I'm a payments professional. I've been in this business forever. Of course we kept it. It was way more valuable than some cockamamie, you know, swivel chair over here. It was way better. Made all the sense in the world. Yep, absolutely. And I would say, you know, beyond that, that that's always the first exercise that, that we run. You know, I would say beyond that, I think it's understanding your customer base and the characteristics that they possess. So, you know, are you fairly homogenous in terms of size and by proxy price sensitivity? Do you have kind of an enterprise channel? Do you have maybe a mid-market or, or a down-market channel? Because it's very likely that they'll require different types of approach when it comes to selling merchant services. So when you think about a lot of the, the successful pay facts you mentioned earlier, Todd, you know, a lot of them have true you know, B to B to C. And that C in, in that equation is, is a true small business who maybe isn't quite as price sensitive, who is looking at this this solution as this is like the one piece of software I use to run my business. And so as a result, it's very likely that you can sell them kind of a rack rate or a sticker rate, a blended rate price, and they're going to take it, right? And that's that's just kind of the cost and you don't really deviate off of it, maybe for a one-off merchant, but most of the time you're going to sell it. And that eliminates a lot of problems and challenges for you because now you don't necessarily need to hire a merchant sales rep or train someone on it. You can kind of just, it's an add-on feature that anyone can really sell. 
you know, conversely, if your B2B to C, if that C is a little bit more enterprise and has some experience or some savvy when it comes to the structures of merchant services, then you maybe do need someone who has experience and, and you may be in a little bit more of a competitive situation and a longer sales cycle. So understanding what that might look like beforehand is really important when it comes to determining that merchant pricing. You were talking about that pricing topic. I was thinking that it's really about value. Absolutely. Right. How much value does that software provide? I'm not talking about like value added BS. I mean, how much value does that software provide that is monetized through payments, but where you'd have to be crazy not to take it because of all the value aligning your software and your payments provides? Let's move on and and close out with where you think this is going. And in software-led payments, I know you've said you're wondering about where the growth in software-led payments takes us and what happens to the processors. What, what are your thoughts? I wonder if we agree or disagree here. Yeah, you know, I, I'm very curious how the processors will continue to innovate in a way that makes them relevant. And by relevant, I mean protects their portion of the proverbial pie, right, <laughs> of the gross profit that's available you know, traditionally, when we've looked back at the referral agreements of yesteryear, they were keeping the lion's share, right? Maybe it was a 50% split, but with some buy rates, they were keeping the majority of, of the revenue. And, you know, now we're looking at PayFact as a service or payment facilitation, you know, they're, they're down in the low double digit, maybe single digit take rates for themselves in terms of what they're keeping. And so in what appears to be another race to the bottom, how are these large processors and the challengers, the new entrants, going to continue to innovate to keep themselves relevant and profitable and make this channel uh, worth continuing to service. Um, and so that to me is, is, is a trend that I continue to keep an eye on, especially as I see some of the larger legacy players who maybe stayed away from this payback as a service channel in the past. It appears they recognize this is inevitable and are now making their own moves to offer a solution like this. So very curious to see how they protect their own margin as the software continues to take on more of the work. In 26, 27 years almost in payments, I've heard about the race to the bottom for my whole career. And I've heard that margins were shrinking for my whole career. Merchant margins are expanding, at least in small business, which powers the revenue of the industry. And it seems that the companies that have the race to the bottom are the ones that aren't identifying the segments and the technologies that are driving value. So my bet is I don't think we'll see margins materially go down. They might stay the same or go up for the companies that chase value through segmentation and technology. What do you think? Yeah, I completely agree, right? It's not to say that the margins themselves are compressing. I would wager that free market innovation would create more value that you can then capture with better margin. That makes total sense. And I think the question is, of that margin, who keeps what piece? And it's to your point, it's it's who's providing the most value. And, and, you know, the trend now is that the majority of payments are being accepted through some software platform. That's relatively new, but I certainly don't see it slowing down. And so as that continues to accelerate and software led payments continues to dominate, what value are kind of the back end processors providing, you know, short of, of an integration and some rails to process transactions? I think that's going to be really interesting to see. 
Brian, my friend, that was awesome. I love that conversation. I always love when we have a chance to talk, whether it's recorded or not, we do it all the time and look forward to a really interesting time in payments. Thanks for coming. Yeah, thanks, Todd. I've really enjoyed listening to the episodes of this podcast and uh, it's my pleasure to be here. Thanks for the opportunity. Thank you so much to Brian Abernathy for joining us today. I thought it was such a fun and enlightening conversation. I really hope you did too. As always, many thanks to our awesome listeners for tuning in to the It Pays to Know podcast once again. We hope you enjoyed it. To hear more from us, go to Infinicept.com, where you'll also be able to learn more about our PayOps platform and how we get payments going your way. We especially want to highlight our newest product, LaunchPay, which helps software companies get the payback experience with all the transparency and openness of becoming a full payback without the expense and lift. As a founding member of the Embedded Payments Bill of Rights, we're 100% committed to doing payments right. For Infinisep, this is Todd Ablowitz. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll pay you another visit next time.